We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can find him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and also his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. After the first playoff poll, it looked like we'd get two SEC schools in the playoff. But do you feel now it'll be two from the ACC? And is Clemson still the best team in the conference? I think Clemson is still the best team in the conference, but... Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the selection committee ranking them ahead of Miami. I think that a lot of Clemson being ahead of Miami, you know, a one-loss team over an undefeated team, has to do with two things. Number one, that win against Auburn looks better by the week. As the Tigers have continued to surge, uh, the selection committee, which in 2017, has obviously put a lot of value on head-to-head. Um, because the win against Auburn is their anchor. As Auburn rises, the argument for Clemson is strengthened. So I think that the, the win against Auburn is a big thing. And also, the selection committee has said that they are going to consider that in that loss to Syracuse, Kelly Bryant, the starting quarterback, was knocked out. And so if you're going to consider the injury as a way to adjust the way you value Clemson, and if you're going to think that the Auburn win is one of the most important things on that resume as the Tigers are now you know, in the mix for the SEC title and now even a playoff berth themselves. I understand why the committee is putting Clemson ahead of Miami, but still uh, after back-to-back wins against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame and doing so in such dominant fashion, I think that Miami probably deserves uh, to have that spot over Clemson. But the good news is, Rich, uh, is we're going to get to see them play in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it'll be decided on the field. No question. And Hard Rock Stadium, which they will not be able to play in that stadium for that game, uh, has been a tremendous home field advantage for the Canes. How much of so? And and how has it become such a tough place to play? It was just waiting to, to light up. You know, that it is not hard for the Miami community, not just the uni- university, but – uh, just sort of the, the sports community at large to jump on board when you start winning. You know, we we saw it with the Miami Heat, and if the Miami Dolphins get good again, we'll see it with them too. But, you know, this is, this is a group that, yes, uh, when things aren't going well, uh, the seats might be empty, but if you are competing for championships, this is an area and a, a group of sports fans that respects winners. They will show up, they will be loud, they will buy tickets, and they will create an incredible environment. So, you know, it was it was waiting to happen, and, and and I think that as soon as they saw what was happening with Mark Rick, uh, people have been quick to jump on board. It's been a lot of fun, really. No question at all. What? But what has Rick done that's been the biggest difference? Because you know, Miami was at the point under Al Golden and and also previously where they've had good seasons, but they could never turn the corner. This time they've had. What's been the difference? I think that the experience that Mark Rick brings from 17 years competing at the highest level in the SEC and from his time as an assistant at Florida State, um, you know, and even playing at Miami. I mean, that's like Al Golden is a good football coach, but there was no part of Al Golden's resume that indicated that he had the experience of being able to command what is just a massive, massive challenge of leading a top power five program and not just a power five program but one of college football's most iconic brands and i think that from his time at georgia and at florida state mark rick has really figured out how to be able to harness that uh, how to be able to manage building confidence uh, while at the same time not getting uh, too far off from where the target is 
And the other thing I would mention is, hey, Mark Rick's made some terrific hires. Uh, Manny Diaz deserves a lot of credit for what's happening on defense. You know, a lot of freshmen and sophomores that have done a great job. Uh, the pass defense in particular, I think, has come on strong. I thought that was a weak point coming into the year. And now they've been playing fantastic. And I, I think Manny Diaz even said during inter- interviews this week that seeing these young players who, again, remember, they're 18, 19, 20 years old, thrust into a huge spotlight, you're a top three team, and they continue to deliver, making plays time and time again. Now, I, I think that that is a, a credit to the entire coaching staff. Thomas Brown, you know, former uh, Georgia player under Mark Richt, who's really bought on and helped develop this offense. They, they, they are so sound right now, and I think that being sound is a reflection of a head coach that's been in it at the top level for a long time and understands what it takes to win a championship. How much of a spark has Travis Homer been, especially considering the injury to Mark Walton, which looked like Miami was going to take a huge hit there? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I think Travis Homer, had, he stepped in immediately. But, you know, DJ Dallas has come in, and he's been a big threat. The offensive line has done a good job of being able to follow their assignments and improve over time. Uh, this, this offense on paper is not wildly impressive, particularly, I mean, at the start of the year with Mark Walton, the healthy Amon Richards, you know, th- there was a lot more to like about Miami. That's the reason they were picked to win the Coastal in the, at media days. But, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of players beneath the, beneath the radar right now that are, doing, that are playing uh, maybe above their heads. You know, we'll, we'll see as this continues to, to break down and, and Miami is going to go up against the likes of Clemson and maybe even get into the college football playoff if they're going to be able to sustain this level of play. Um, but, you know, Travis Homer deserves a lot of credit because no one knew his name in July, and he's going to finish as one of the top rushers and most important players in the ACC. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and also check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Virginia Tech had a great start but has been fading. They were beaten soundly in Miami and then by Georgia Tech through the air. What do you chalk that up to? I think that Virginia Tech is uh, about a step away. I think that we want so badly to see Virginia Tech because it was a slow slide from winning 10 games a year competing for ACC championships to all of a sudden fighting for bowl bids in November during Frank Beamer's last couple years. Uh, I think that we want to see them get back to 10 wins and competing for ACC championships so badly that uh, sometimes we push them a little bit further than where they're at. And right now there's just a, there's, it is uh, on display when the backups come in there, there's a depth issue, which is not particularly bad, but it's just, uh, it's going to take maybe two recruiting cycles, I think, for Justin Fuente to really build Virginia Tech into what I, a lot of Hokie fans want to see, which is a team that is competing for the ACC championship every single year, and every couple of years they'll flirt with college football playoff and national championship contention. I, I just think that when when you look at the horses, uh, they're about two cycles away. NC State had a great start, but Wake Forest has been flying under the radar. The Demon Deacons bowl eligible for the second straight year. They're 6-4, and four, and we knew about their defense, but how much has their offense been a surprise this year, even with some of the injuries they've had? It makes a huge difference when John Walford is able to have time in the pocket. The offensive line has done a tremendous job. Uh, John Walford is a player who, in his final high school game, Uh, It was a 77-73 to game. He had over 700 passing yards and scored 10 touchdowns, all 10 of his team's touchdowns. Uh, He is a player 
who can get back there and be very, very productive, but he needs time. And you got to think that when he was a freshman, starting as a freshman, you know, coming right in and Dave Clawson threw him into the fire. And that was an offensive line that could not get any push with the running game. They could not any, get any kind of protection in the passing game. Now, I think they averaged only about two to three yards per carry as a team on the season. And now they've really upped their level of play. And even with the loss of Greg Dortch, which I thought was a big-time bummer because as a freshman he was having a breakout mm-hmm. season, uh, they've still been able to find the players to step in. Cam Serenye is you know, one of the top tight ends in the country. Uh, they're able to develop a rushing attack to balance it. The Wake Forest offense is probably one of my five biggest surprises in a pleasant way from the ACC this season. How heartbreaking is the knee to Boston, uh, the injury to uh, Boston College quarterback Anthony Brown? That knee injury also takes away the potential of more practices should they be able to get bowl eligible. Heartbreaking for sure, but he's a freshman, and the the word out of uh, Chestnut Hill right now is, is it's confident. You know, this is a player who we saw this season between Anthony Brown and AJ Dillon. They're going to build the offense around those two players moving forward, and. Yes, heart, absolutely heartbreaking. But, you know, Steve Adazio, when he was asked about it, listed off a handful of players that had similar injuries and had been able to come back strong and be just as good, if not better, from it. So the while it is heartbreaking for the season and for this player, uh, I think that people look at Anthony Brown and they know that this is going to be a bright future. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. Does the conference need to move away from Friday night games? I don't think so. I, I think that this this is a uh, a real estate situation where those Friday night games uh, create some scheduling issues, but at the same time it's a spotlight that you might not be getting at Pac-12 after dark or you might not be getting in – uh, the early window for the Pac-12, which oftentimes coincides with some of those 3.30 uh, and 7 o'clock games on the East Coast. I, I I think that there is reason from the high school football standpoint, you know, communities that want to be able to celebrate uh, their high school teams and, and not ask fans to choose between going to see, you know, a, a child, a, a son, and going to fill up their season, t- you know, commit to their season tickets. Uh, in the stadium, I understand it from the high school football perspective, but um, I think that as as we look at the Pac-12 as a conference that is demanding for attention, you need to commit to being able to take advantage of those opportunities in those spotlight games. David Shaw finally made the move to KJ Costello. Should he have made that move sooner? I think so. Uh, I was screaming for it. I don't. I don't know what. Uh, I, I jokingly asked aloud what Keller Chris had on David Shaw that kept him in the game that long. I mean, and I think that Keller Chris had the you know the body, the physical tools that you would look for out of uh, the the you know the Stanford quarterback uh, mold that they've been trying to fill here over the last little bit. But the performance just wasn't there. I mean, he made mistake after mistake, and the offense hasn't you know wasn't playing very well. KJ Costello comes in. And uh, and now the offense has a little bit of spark again. It's I, I think that he should have gone to it sooner, but uh, I, I'm also not there in practice, and I'm sure that David Shaw and the rest of the offensive staff would probably scream at me and say the same thing. You're not in practice. You're not seeing the way that these guys are handling uh, their reps, the way that they're handling information in meetings. But seeing K.J. Costello on the field lets me know that whatever improvements he's made behind the scenes uh, are only going to benefit Stanford moving forward. 
Speaking of quarterbacks, as we speak with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, you can check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Two big ones on display tonight, USC, UCLA, the Bruins trying to get bowl eligible. How will this latest matchup in this series go? I think that USC really needs to hang on tight. I know that this has been a tough, tough season, but if they can play some of their best football right now, you know, they're coming off a couple of 14-point wins, and a lot of those 14-point wins look good on the schedule and in the profile. Uh, even in those games, they've kind of been up-and-down performances where a quick surge has been able to help the Trojans pull away. And I, I think that in a rivalry game, going up against a player like Josh Rosen, uh, as someone who wants to see this USC team be able to perform at the top level, uh, I think that you got to put them away early because if this turns into a shootout between Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, we as fans might love it. But I think that USC needs to know that it is the far superior team in this matchup, and it would be very good in terms of being able to go into this much-deserved week off uh, with a dominant performance. So much made between these two. Who do you like better as a prospect? I think I like Darnold better as a prospect. I'm uh, I'm I'm interested to see if Josh. Both players obviously are criticized for some of their decision making and the turnovers that continue to pile up. But I mean, people criticized Deshaun Watson um, for his turnovers, and he got to the NFL and. You know, prior to his heartbreaking injury, you know, looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league. And, you know, people saw Deshaun Watson with the Texans and they started calling him the future. So I, I, I try not to look, particularly with a quarterback who's incredibly gifted at interceptions in college and uh, try to make too much of it. So I, I think it's Darnold, um, but we, we'll see as it plays out. I mean, that's the fun for college football, honestly, when you cover it, is that. You know, you get to see all these little glimpses, but in terms of being a prospect and being a pro, uh, I, I get to sit back on Sundays while I'm sorting <laughs> through all the box scores and all the information and uh, and get to see how these players do end up playing out their careers. Cal Stanford, 35th anniversary of the band is on the field. <laughs> will they will they commemorate that tonight at all? <laughs> I, I'm sure. I, I mean, there's a Lego version of the band is on the field to commemorate it that's uh, out there right now. You know, they, they're going to do... Uh, a lot to to celebrate it, but I I think that this is a this is an interesting spot for both teams. You know the the Cal the start of the season for Cal was something that we celebrated. Uh, now things have flipped a little bit for the Bears. They've been able to get a couple conference wins, which is good for building moving forward. And Stanford wants to go and win the Pac-12 North, and to be able to do that, you got to take care of business right here. So I'm I'm very interested to see how Stanford plays in this spot against the Cal team that still has a lot to play for. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson, as well as check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Utah was 4-0, now 5-5. Has it been injuries or, or something else that has led to this slide? I think that even, you know, being 4-0 is great, but I think that this Utah team is a, was a little bit limited. Uh, I think that in the Pac-12 South, we had it wrong. Uh, there was a lot of discrediting Arizona. There was a lot of discrediting Arizona State. I think that there wasn't much confidence in what those teams are going to be able to pose. And so we projected Utah to be the second best team just behind USC because that's been the spot that Utah has occupied for the last couple of years. Uh, and I think that what we've seen as the conference season has unfolded is Utah is a little bit limited. And when you have those injuries, uh, a team that's limited is not going to be able to sustain it and be able to compete for championships. So 
I, you know, this is a, this is an off year from uh, the Kyle Whittingham nine wins, uh, great defense, great special teams, win a bunch of games, 23, 21. Uh, they just, they haven't been able to get the offense generated in enough games. You look at, at Arizona, Oregon tonight, can Jim Levitt dial up anything that could contain Khalil Tate? I don't have a lot of confidence in it. <laughs> um, I think this could, I think this could be a really big Khalil Tate game and Khalil Tate, uh, right now, I think in, in most of the Heisman polls, is certainly an outside candidate. If he puts up a big number tonight, he'll have a chance to be able to uh, sneak in and maybe get enough second and third place votes to be able to get an invite to New York City. How high are the Wildcats' hopes going forward with him, and does that ensure that Rich Rodriguez will be back? I think so. I, I think that Rich Rodriguez, you know, uh, a coach who coming into the year, uh, a lot of people were, you know, loosening up their loosening up their tie and shrugging their shoulders. Everyone loves Rich Rodriguez, like as a person and as a human. He even uh, works for CBS for a year in between gigs, and I got a chance to interview him, talk to him on the phone, and uh, he, you know, just a, a great personality and you know a brilliant offensive mind. So it's somebody that a lot of people find it easy to root for. But even coming into the year, you were just you didn't have a lot of confidence, as I mentioned, in how competitive Arizona was going to be. And so, yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a bright future with Khalil Tate and Rich Rod, and it certainly looks like his time at Arizona uh, is not going to be slowing to a halt anytime soon. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Alabama getting ready for the Iron Bowl, taking on Mercer right now. But given all these upsets or big wins that we have seen in college football, they've all come by home teams. How much more impressive did that make Alabama look last week being able to pull it out in Starkville? It was a good win. Um, I think the win against Mississippi State highlighted something that I've, I've been waking up to on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. We get to talk to Gary Danielson every single week. And about three weeks ago, he said, uh, if you want a name for the Heisman that's a little bit of a dark horse, that's flying under the radar, that will have the opportunity uh, to be able to make himself more of a threat, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. And the way that Jalen Hurts can put that Alabama offense on his back and lead the touchdown drives that they need, making plays with his legs. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that Heisman voters love to see. So I, I, I think the, the spotlight that you see uh, is great for him individually, but when you're Alabama as a team, I mean, you just can't replace that. The whole Al- Alabama's offensive line came out of the Mississippi State game, and they talked about the composure, uh, the confidence that Jalen Hurts had on the sideline. And remember, this is a true sophomore who's leading the Alabama offense. And he is just telling everyone, we, we, we are winners. We're going to win this game. And everyone buys in. And to see that and to have that uh, makes that Alabama team, it makes me more confident in that Alabama team as being a, someone that's not going to misstep, even with, you know, I mean, how tough is this for the Tide? You finish your SEC regular season schedule at a good Mississippi State team and at Auburn with the SEC West on the line. If Alabama gets out of those two spots and wins the SEC championship, uh, then, yeah, I, I know that the strength of schedule hasn't been great so far, but uh, to finish that way would be one of the most strongest statements that I could think of. How much concern is there with the Tides' defense? We saw a little of the effect of the injuries last week. Can they overcome that going forward with Auburn next week and potentially the, the SEC championship? 
I think they can overcome it, but it is, it's going to require uh, a lot of snaps from some inexperienced players who are highly rated and very, very talented, but they're going to have to put some work in to be able to get ready for that spot because uh, linebacker is a position that gets picked on by the Mississippi State offense, and it also gets picked on by the Auburn offense. I think that the Georgia game is probably one that Alabama would be better suited for just because they, they do have the defensive line depth and Georgia doesn't necessarily stress uh, those outside positions with the run-pass option the way that Mississippi State and Auburn do. But it's, uh, this is going to be a fascinating spot next week uh, as those young players are going to be forced into those tough decisions against what is a very, very good Auburn offense. In Auburn right now, also in action, taking on Louisiana Monroe, looking for win number nine on the season. You know, it, we had been waiting for this Auburn team all year. Why has it come together for them now? I think that they always need to find their rhythm. Isn't that sort of the feeling that you get from a Gus Malzahn coached offense is that a lot of it's based on rhythm and the way that, you know, they kind of tripped over themselves. Some of the play calling was a little bit, uh, interesting, to say the least, in that LSU game. But, you know, you you lose to Clemson at Clemson, and that's, like, not a loss that I think that should stress you out at all. The LSU game was very concerning at the time, but they found a way to bounce back from it. Um, you know, I, I look at Auburn, and I look at Carrion Johnson, and I think that the job that he is doing when, you know, Alabama has five running backs and Georgia has five running backs, and Auburn just has Carrion right now, and he is – carrying the load for that team. Uh, he is such a physical runner, and it's, it really shows his career growth. The player who was a, you know, an athlete officially listed coming out of high school, he really played more wide receiver, slot receiver uh, on his high school team. And so becoming this every down kind of back has been a process for him. It's taken a couple years, but he has embraced the challenge, and he's really thriving right now. It's it is really something interesting to see as he and Jarrett Stidham, you know, both sort of falling into new places and making it work. And it's uh, and it's obviously to Auburn's benefit. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, or follow him on Twitter as well, at Chip underscore Patterson. You know, last week we had talked whether about Jake Fromm would have to be a factor at some point, and we did get that answer. How tough of a lesson was that for him? Very tough. Um, I'm very interested with Georgia and Kentucky this week to see how he bounces back and whether Georgia tips their hand to say, all right, uh, we need to put in some new wrinkles. You know, we can't just get it done running the ball. To be able to beat the best teams in the country, we're going to need to get more from the passing game. And uh, I don't know if they're going to start warming that up against Kentucky or if they're just going to keep it in the bag for the SEC championship game. But this is uh, this is going to be a limitation when it comes to winning a national championship and winning an SEC championship. So uh, they they had to go back and they had to start working on some stuff because as we saw last week, you're not going to be able to beat uh, Alabama or Auburn again. You know you're not going to be able to beat the SEC West champion. Uh, just trying to get it done on the ground. The narrative last week for Georgia was that it didn't have much to lose. In the end, was that accurate? No. No, they had a lot to lose. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think that the, the chances of two SEC teams in the college football playoff went away with Georgia's loss. And so, I, you know, I think that Alabama, of Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, I think Alabama, if it entered the SEC championship game undefeated and Georgia won, 
I think Alabama is the only one of those three teams that could sustain a loss and still be able to make the college football playoff. So right now, you know, the odds of all those things happening, as well as getting some help from other conferences, I just, I just don't think that anyone wants to put their money down on that. So I, I think that this was, unfortunately, not only a loss that hurts the SEC's college football playoff chances, at least in terms of getting two teams, but I think it was a loss that also exposed some weaknesses that whoever wins the SEC West, be it Alabama or Auburn, are going to come back to when they need it in Atlanta. The list is at three right now of schools looking for coaches in the SEC and probably soon to be four with Jeff Long out as AD at Arkansas and Brett Bielham probably to follow. But Tennessee was fait accompli for a while. Where do you think they might look for their next coach? I have a list of coaches that Tennessee fans probably don't want to hear. You know, I, I, I don't think the rock star hire is like if the rock star hire happens, you know, whether that's a John Gruden, whether that's a Chip Kelly, uh, you know, one of these pipe dream coaches, I, I just don't think that that's necessarily what Tennessee needs, you know, from covering this program. Uh, I see one that needs someone who's going to come and put roots down, someone who's going to, come and be a great recruiter, someone who's going to stay for a while. And I, I just don't know if the rock star hire is going to be anything more than a stopgap. And unfortunately, in the SEC, the distance that Tennessee has slipped from the top, I don't think a stopgap will help. And so that's why the name I've been throwing around with no sources, but just a, a coach who I think could take this opportunity and really help the Vols turn things around is T. Barton. Um, you know, T. Martin, the offensive coordinator at USC right now, has certainly done a great job uh, being able to get productive offenses on the field for the Trojans. Uh, he's been one of the top recruiters in the country for about five years now, so you know he's going to be able to get out there and recruit. And he's T. Martin. He's a Tennessee legend. Uh, I think that if he was given an opportunity for his first head coaching job at his alma mater, if that's something he wants to do, I think that that's where Tennessee should look, not necessarily for a coach who, in my opinion, uh, would come and certainly draw a lot of buzz and draw a lot of headlines, but may ju- is just as likely uh, to be out uh, by their own choice, either to the NFL or you know maybe retire again uh, before Tennessee is able to get back to the point where they want to be contending for championships. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk with you next week. Sounds good. Same to you.